Abraham and now Isaac. And we talk about waiting on the Lord. You and I get to wait, and I don't think we understand what it was for them to wait. We wait and we have this, right? What, what were they waiting on? Did they have the word? They're waiting to hear the voice of God. And sometimes it was years. They're real people just like you and me, right? Think about that as you sit down, get out your copy of God's Word. Genesis chapter 26 this morning. In this chapter, Isaac's going to hear twice from God. We don't have very many records of, in, in Scripture of Isaac actually hearing from the voice of God. It happens twice in this chapter, though. And I want you to think about it this way. I think sometimes, I, how many of you are like me, I'll, I'll pick up especially the Old Testament and, and the characters I read about, the men and women, women in there, that kind of like are larger than life. Anybody else like that? It's like, it's like getting out and reading Paul Bunyan or something, right? And it's like, you know, it just, you know, this stuff is almost hard to relate to. But they had real problems just like you and I do. Did Abraham ever get sick? Abraham and Sarah ever fight, you think? They were married. Come on. <laughs> Did they fight? Did they have problems with their children? We know Isaac has problems with his children, right? You know, we had some issues this week in our family, and one of the things was is we're, we're down a car. Can, you know, Isaac, you know, did he have to deal with being down a camel? I mean, think about it. I mean, stuff that you and I don't think, we're like, oh, no, these people never had to worry about this kind of stuff. God was with them, speaking to them all the time. No, they were waiting sometimes long periods of time before they ever heard the voice of God. And yet, God had the same standard for them that he has for us. And God provided the same way of salvation for them that he did for us in Christ. And I think sometimes we forget that when we read this stuff, this was really life for them and it really happened the way that God writes it for us in his word. In the giving of the law, specifically under the part that prohibits graven images in Acts chapter or excuse me, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5 where God says, "You won't make any graven images." He says this he says this, I'm a jealous God, and I visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. I visit the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Dad's in the room, look up here. Granddad's in the room, look up here. According to that verse, do what you and I do have a direct impact on our children, on our children's children, and on their children? Dads, does it? Yeah. Those of you in this room who want to be dads, be careful what you ask for, right? Because, because what we do has a direct impact. But now, the Bible is clear. Just this week, I was reading in Exodus 18, or I mean, Ezekiel chapter 18. I'm having a problem with my books of the Bible this morning. I was reading Ezekiel chapter 18 this week. The Bible is clear that as individuals, we are individually responsible before God. Is that not true? 
I'm going to answer to God for what I do. My children are going to answer to God. Their children will answer to God, correct? But there is this truth, and it is an absolute truth. Our children will absolutely be affected by our sinful choices. They absolutely will be affected by our sinful choices. In one study Bible, they put it this way. The wickedness of one generation sometimes takes several generations to reverse. I like that. The wickedness of one generation. And you ever, you ever come across this when you're reading in the Old Testament? That, that at times it's like, God, you seem so harsh. But, but sometimes God, and with certain other of the nations that were opposed to Israel, he would wipe out everybody in that nation. He would wipe out not just the people, the, the adults who were sitting, but he would wipe out the children too. Did it ever occur to you why God might do that? Because he's just being hard, right? Or did it occur to you that maybe God did that because that generation had been so perverted by their parents that he was actually stopping something that was going to get even worse? Maybe we need that in America. Just a thought. <laughs> Just a thought. But in our text today, we're going to see Isaac, who wasn't alive when his father even committed the two sins of lying about his wife. He wasn't even alive, but yet we're going to see Isaac repeat the same sin that his father did. And as a dad in this room this morning, that ought to make us shudder. <laughs> That ought to make us shudder. But we're also going to see, and this ought to encourage us, that just as God was faithful to Abraham, because he's God, he's going to be faithful to Isaac as well. He's going to be faithful to him as well. So, when we were last in the book of Genesis two weeks ago, we were in chapter 25, and we, we, we got an idea of what Isaac's kids were like. And what we learned is, is that Jacob and Esau, they're, they're, they're both kind of, they're, they're not great kids, right? They're not great kids. And we learned a lot about their character. I want to point out to you, because it seems like when we get to chapter 27 last week, it's kind of like Isaac falls off the scene because not much is mentioned about him as you go forward in the Genesis account. Isaac will be alive for quite a bit longer, but the, the focus kind of shifts to Jacob Isaac's alive all the way up to chapter 35 of the book of Genesis. So he's going to be around for a long time. He's just going to kind of fade away in the background. And what is recorded about Isaac really isn't very flattering. But we'll deal with that when we get to the end of our message this morning. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But I want to read chapter 26 of the book of Genesis. If you have a copy of God's Word, please follow along. I think it'll be up on the screen as well. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Let's understand something here right now, okay? Moses is cluing us into something, and I want to clear it up right here at the beginning so that you don't get confused by this. We've already seen a guy named Abimelech, haven't we? And, and, and Abraham dealt with Abimelech, and, and he had some dealings with him. Abimelech would kind of be a title that would be used for a king, it's not a name, okay? Think of it this way. There were many pharaohs in Egypt, right? 
but there were different pharaohs by name, right? There was King Tut, there was other guys, right? They were all pharaohs. Abimelech would be like the equivalent of that. For the Philistines, they didn't have, they didn't have kings that they called kings. They had Abimelechs, okay? Just like the Egyptians had pharaohs, okay? So it's just a title. This is a different guy than the guy that Abraham dealt with, but he is in the same position, the same thing would be true about the head of his army. We'll read later about a guy named Phicol, P-H-I-C-O-L. That's a title, okay? It's not the guy's name. It's a title. He's the head of the army, okay? So that kind of clears a few things up. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you, and for to you and to your offspring I will give these lands. I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister, for he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. You might say that flirting, like a husband and wife do. They were flirting, okay? So... Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, that was his problem, because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also, so he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and, did not, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahazeth, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? 
they said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will not do us, do us no, or that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace, so are now the blessed of the Lord. So they made a feast and they ate and drank. And in the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about a well that they had dug and said to him, we have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When, Isaac, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the wife of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Began by telling you that their, their lives had problems just like your life does and just like my life does. They deal with real issues, Isaac and Rebekah. They probably argued over stuff in their tent. They probably disagreed on how to handle their, their employees. They probably, you know, Isaac liked this certain camel and Rebekah hated riding in that camel. Okay, they dealt with the same issues that you and I deal with. They dealt with the same kinds of feelings that you and I did. But as we begin here now, there's a real problem in chapter 26. It's the same feel as chapter 12 and verse 10, where when Abraham finally makes it to this land of promise that God has shown him, he gets there and no sooner than he arrives there, there's a famine. Now I ask you this morning, church, did God know there would be a famine when Abraham showed up there? Did God know that he was about to bring another famine into the land? Yeah, yeah. Now, just like his father has had to do, and just like Jacob will have to do years ahead now, he's got to deal with this external circumstance that he didn't invite into his life that God, in his wisdom, in his sovereignty, has placed in his life. None of you chose to have a car breakdown, did you? None of you chose to have physical adversity to deal with physical issues. I don't think any of you chose that, did you? None of you chose to have problems with your employer, right? Yet, all of us in this room can relate to one of those scenarios, can't we? All of us can relate to that. We can, we can all relate to God dropping things that feel like anvils right in our lap, right? And so now, Isaac has a situation. And when, when he finds out that there's a famine and, he, and he's realizing day by day that there's less and less food, water is short, he's seeing his livestock suffering, he's seeing his servants have to work all the harder because he's the manager of this household, he's got to take action, doesn't he? So here's what he does. At the end of verse 1, he went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. He's still technically within the land that God has promised him, but if you think about a map of Israel, he's gone about as far south and about as far west as he can go and stay in the land of promise. He's gone right to the edge. If he keeps going, he's going to end up in Egypt. Now, how many of you think that Abraham was a good dad? How many of you agree with me that you think Abraham's a good dad? You suppose Abraham told him about the time that he went to Egypt? Son, before you were born, I went to Egypt. I've been to, you've been to Egypt? Yeah, I've been to Egypt. What happened there, Dad? 
well, do you really want to know the story? And so, in his mind, you have to believe that Isaac is thinking, well, when things got bad, dad went to Egypt, and dad found sustenance for our family. Now, I won't repeat what dad did. I'll, I'll be better than dad. I won't do stupid things like dad does, right? So, he, he's there on the border, and we know from verse 2 that he has it in his mind to go to Egypt, because what does God tell him to do? Verse 2, don't go to Egypt. Don't go to Egypt. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I want to I pause here on this, because what looked like the right thing for Isaac to do? What looked like the right thing to do? You've got to take care of your family. You've got to take care of your servants. You've got to take care of your business. And to stay in the land is not going to be productive. But I could temporarily go to Egypt, and, and we could get through this time, and we could come back. That seems from all appearance to be the right thing to do, doesn't it? You agree with me on that? That seems like the right thing to do. And yet God speaks to him, notice, Verse 2, the Lord appeared to him. So this is one of those times where God's right there face to face with him. And he says, don't go to Egypt. In fact, you stay in the place where I'm going to tell you to go. You stay where I tell you to go. Don't do this, but do this. And I would submit to you that is very similar to the test that you and I face today. It's very similar to the test that you and I face today. We can, we can look at some of the times when we're tested, whether it be a health concern, whether it be, I, I've talked to many of you that are struggling with employment and what to do about that, and, and whether or not you should be considering another job. And, from, and a lot of times, have you noticed this, that, that potential employers have a way of making their jobs look better than any other job that's ever been given to somebody? Have you noticed that? That's what they do. That's what they're in business of doing, Right? They want to hire you and pay you as little as possible, but make it look like they're going to be paying you better than anybody else, right? That's what they do. Profit. It's the American way, right? And there are times that you and I face these situations, and what our eye tells us to do and what God tells us to do are two totally different things. How many of you ever been there? What my eye tells me to do, what my heart wants to do, and what God tells me to do are just like this. The test is really, in this case, it's about water and food, but the test is really the same that we faced, and the test really means, and it really boils down to this, will I walk and live by what I see and what I feel? Or will I walk and live by faith? Will I walk and live by faith? Or will I walk and live by sight and, and kind of go with what my gut tells me to do? Men, we're notorious for this. I know some of us in this room are really analytical and I don't relate to you at all. I just don't. I'm not an analytical guy. I'm a seat of the pants kind of guy. I go with my gut. Anybody else in this room like that? I'm just going to go with my gut. And, 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 you know, seven to eight times out of ten, my gut doesn't lead me wrong. But boy, whenever it does lead me wrong, it's really bad. Right? 
I relate to where Isaac is here. It's a choice of like, okay, I hear what you're saying, God, but, but I've been doing that. I've been staying here. I have been sojourning here, and, and things are getting kind of rough down here. Notice how explicit God is in verses 3 through 5. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. In other words, what he's doing is something that is really key for Isaac. He is reaffirming the promise that he made to his father, and that his father shared with him and said, this is the promise that's on you, but now God himself is directly coming to him and he's saying that. And all of a sudden the promise becomes real. The promise becomes real here. And, and now Isaac, Isaac has to make a choice about whether or not he's going to take the promise of God. I think about it this way. Parents, what is our number one desire for our children? I hope it's that they would come to know and love Jesus, right, and walk with him, right? Is that not our number one desire? But can you, can you make that happen for them? God's got to come, really, almost like he did here with Isaac. God's got to come and confront them directly, doesn't he? Now, you can set all the conditions. You can train them. You can, you can teach them the word of God. You can bring them to church. You can teach them principles out of God's word. But there is not one thing that you can do as a parent that will definitely save your child, is there? It's up to Almighty God, right? Isaac now has to make this same decision, doesn't he? It wasn't just enough that his father made the decision and that the decision transferred to him. He's got to make the decision for himself. And God comes to him clearly and says, here's what it involves. you got to stay here because if you stay here, I'm going to bless you. This is a do this and I will kind of promise, right? You do this, and I will do this. Stay here, and I will be with you. And this is more than just the simple kind of prayer that you and I pray, God be with us today. This is God's promised presence with him in a place that's going to be really hard to live. Okay? He, he's directly hearing from God. And then he goes further in the same promise that he gave to Abraham, he gives to Isaac in verse 4, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. I will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, we never saw where God gave the statutes and commandments and laws to Abraham, did we? We went through the whole life of Abraham. Do you recall a time where we saw where God spelled it all out for him? But obviously God had. But what's the thing that, that Abraham is, is commended for? It's because Abraham obeyed. Because Abraham obeyed. Now remember, we saw that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And the proof of his belief was what? It's his obedience. It's his obedience. And so now Isaac has a decision to make. And, and notice who the emphasis is on in verse 5. Abraham's mentioned, but who do all the pronouns point to? My voice, my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. 
Here's a parenting thing for you. Don't make your parenting about your children obeying just you. Make your parenting about obeying him. And in the course of parenting, we can really make it about us, can't we? I'm telling you what, when, when your kid does something dumb, anybody else have this happen to you in the course of parenting? Your kid does something dumb, who, who are you most upset about? That they violated God's holiness or that they've made you mad? Come on, be honest with me, parents. It's about us, isn't it? It's about, I cannot believe you just did that. I just told you not to do that, and you did that. That's, that's part of being a kid, right? They're just going to see how far they can go with you, right? Don't make it about you. Make it about God's voice, about His charge, His commandments, His statutes, His laws. And so, He's not saying to Isaac, obey the rules of your dad here. No, obey what your dad obeyed, and that was what I told him to do. So Isaac has this choice, and we see in verse 6 that Isaac obviously has faith in God, because what does he do? He does exactly what God tells him to do, right? So he settles there in Gerar, he stays and he dwells, he doesn't go to Egypt, he chooses the hard path right? He chooses the hard path, the path that his sight tells him, don't do this, go to Egypt. No, he says, no, what? I'm going I'm to obey God in this. Now, if we were writing this story, everybody look up here. If we were writing this story, at this point, what would we say? The rest of Isaac's life is going to be smooth sailing, right? Right? Isn't that what we want to believe? Church, come on, wake up this morning. Isn't that what you want to believe? He believed God, and God is going to make his paths straight. There's not going to be a bump on them. There's not going to be one bit of trouble. How many would sign up for that? You're laughing because you understand the Christian life, don't you? Just because we obey doesn't mean we're not going to get tested again, does it? Just because you obey doesn't mean you're not going to get tested again. You know, it's, it's kind of like when you're, when you're in high school and your freshman year, you get done with your freshman year and you take your first set of exams and you get all through that and then you realize, I've got to do this three more years. And then you're like, if I want to go to college, I've got to do this for seven more years. And if you want to go to grad school, you're just, you're crazy. Right? Right? So... Just because you're tested and you pass the test doesn't mean that God's going to be like, okay, you passed the test, you're good to go. You get a get-out-of-jail-free card for the rest of your life. No, just like with his father, Isaac's response to the famine put him in direct testing. We see it here in verses 6 through 13. He settles in Gerar, and then verse 7, when the men of the place asked him about his wife... Now, we will say this about Abraham and Isaac. They were really good in terms of getting beautiful wives, right? Right? Isaac was just a chip off the old block, and he didn't even get to pick it. But Abraham's servant knew well enough, I got to get somebody who's really good looking. When they said, she's my sister, he feared. 
I made this point when we were with Abraham. If you didn't get it, I want you to get it now. Fear is the absence of faith. Fear is the absence of faith. And look how quick it happens. He believed God enough to stay there to keep him alive, but he can't believe God enough to keep his wife alive and himself alive now. And how quickly that, that, that shifts, how quickly that changes. When the men in the place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister, for he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. And who is he afraid for? Again, he's noble like his dad. He doesn't care about his wife. Who's he worried about? I got to say my own neck here. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, guys. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Fear motivates all of this. And too often, men, we, let, let, let's just make this really personal right now. Can I do that? Too often, we make decisions out of fear for ourselves and we don't even consider our families. We've seen Abraham do it, and now we see Isaac do it. Again, life isn't much different here. They're making decisions. And you know what, men? You and I can fall into that same trap. So here's the trap, and, and the trap's been set, and he falls right into it. But I want you to see, <laughs> I want you to see God's grace in this. Okay, could this, has, could this have ended really badly? Just like Abraham's situation could have ended really badly. And remember in Abraham's situation, God reveals to Abimelech in a dream or a vision, right? And he says to him, whoa, 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 no, 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 Sarah's off limits. What you don't know is, is that she's married. In this case, it goes on for a long time. Look at verse 8. When, they had, when he had been there a long time, a long time, and the neighbors are like, that is the weirdest family over there, brother and sister living together like this. You know, why isn't she married? And some of the guys are like, yeah, why isn't she married? Maybe I should marry her. And just one day, Abimelech happens to be looking out of a window, and he happens to see Isaac flirting with Rebekah, his wife. You tell me, did he just happen to do it, or is that God's grace? Church, what is it? It's God's grace. It's God's grace, right? <laughs> and, and Abimelech, just like his predecessor, verse 10, he's not pleased. What is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. In other words, again, the Philistines were more God-fearing than Isaac was, wasn't, weren't they? They understood. They understood this. And they're like, you, you about brought us in, into some serious trouble here with your God. Isaac's not very faithful, is he? passes one test, you would think it'd be easy to pass the next test. No, he fails miserably the next time. That's a lesson to all of us. <laughs> Overconfidence is deadly. Self-confidence is deadly. So now Abimelech warns the people, God's grace, no one touches them. And, and in verse 12, we have this amazing juxtaposition. Do you see it there? Here you have here you have Isaac who lives his life just like this. Anybody relate to that? 
One minute I'm obeying God, one minute I am, I, am, I am totally failing, one minute I'm crushing it, the next minute I'm failing, the next minute I'm crushing it, next minute I'm failing, right? And what does God do? God punishes him, right? Like, guess what? You're going to have to pay the consequences, you know, consequences for this, right? No, no. Isaac sowed in the land and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. He reaped in the land where there was famine a hundredfold. Who does that, church? Only God does that. Only God does that. Because clearly, verse 12 says what? The Lord blessed him. And he became rich, and he gained more and more because he became very wealthy. In other words, the Philistines are like, how is his corn growing? How is he getting any kind of crop? What's happening here? Did he get rain that we didn't get? What's going on here? And so what happens is many times, and you, you know this, you have experienced this in your life. He experiences God's blessing and God's blessing puts him in a place of conflict. <laughs> it puts him in a place of conflict. Because, because now God's blessed him, he's doing well, they're jealous of him, so much so that they're going around, and, and they're, that what's implied here is they had, been, had a, they had a plan of going in and filling all of Abraham's wells, well, now they're really, care, they're really picking up that plan, and they're finishing the job with that. And finally, in verse 16, Abimelech can't take him, he said, get away, get out of here. So he did. He left. He went to the Valley of Gerar, which is really, really close again to the border, but he doesn't go into Egypt. He gets right to the border. Okay, he just moves farther away from Abimelech, but stays on the border. And what he does is, is he starts digging the wells back again that, that had been filled in, and he names them the same names. And you have to ask yourself, why does, why does Moses record that for us here? Why does the Holy Spirit record us? Because this is an act of faith. His father had named those wells, and now as the recipient of the promise, he's going to act in faith. He's going to name those the same names that his dad had given them. It's a sign of ownership. These, these are now, Abraham's wells are now Isaac's wells, but, but we're going to keep Abraham's name on them because God gave Abraham the promise first. And guess what? My, my sons are going to come to these same wells and they're going to be the name that God, that God gave to Abraham to name them. So he's in a position of conflict, right? God, God has a way of using circumstances sometimes in our lives to move us around, doesn't he? And here's what's what he's doing here. So he, he now moves him, and, and everywhere he goes, it seems he gets into more contention. Every time he digs a well, they start fighting about it. In verse 19, Moses records an interesting detail there. He says they found a well of spring water. Not just any water, but spring water. Spring water was very valuable water. It was, it was almost as close to if you could get a never-ending supply of water. He had, he had hit the mother load of wells right there. It was like, think of the Beverly Hillbillies, Jed Clampett. <laughs> right? Half the room was like, what? What was that? He'd hit the mother load of wells. He wasn't going to be able to keep it, though, was he? 
They quarreled over it. The water is ours, verse 20. And, and, and then, so he dug another well, and they quarreled over that. And finally, verse 22, he had to move far enough away, and they finally stopped fighting with him about the wells. They finally had gotten enough water for themselves, and they're like, you know, this guy just keeps digging us wells. We keep fighting with them, and we, we keep getting more water. This is great. And finally, they're like, we got enough water. Let's let the guy have one well, right? And he names it Rehoboth, which is interesting. That's an interesting name. It means room enough. It means room enough. He finally got relief from the Philistines. God has finally moved him to where he wants him. There are times whenever life... Do you ever just feel this way where you just keep butting your head against situations? And it's like, my head's getting sore. God sometimes allows us to butt our head against the wall so that we'll bounce away from that wall to move somewhere else. And that's what's happening here with Isaac. He finally gets to the place where God wanted him to get to from day one. I just wanted to get you to Beersheba. And so I'm going to use these circumstances to get you there. So he gets him to Beersheba, and God comes to him a second time. Do you see it there in verse 24? As soon as he gets to Beersheba, Moses records that same night he gets there. How good is God that he would come and confirm? And the minute that he gets in, the, the day that he gets to the right place, he comes to him and he, and he reaffirms the covenant. I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So what does he do? He pauses right there and he worships. This is the same thing that he did to Abraham, his father, in chapter 17 and verse 1. It's the same thing he does. He says, I am. I am. Not I will. He is saying, I am actively doing it right now. And I take great comfort in that. Because understand this, friend. If God is your father, he is your I am right now. He is actively at work in your life. He's actively doing something. He says, I am the God of Abraham, your father. I am with you. I'm blessing you. I'm multiplying your offspring. And so he experiences peace. And in the middle of that peace, he, he gives us another lesson, just like his father Abraham had done. It, it, when, you, when you experience that peace and you understand that God's blessing you, what do you do? You better pour it back out and praise to him, right? So he builds the altar and he worships. He, and that altar is designating the significance of that promise that God has made. And it's like Isaac is nailing that down. He can always come back to that altar and rem be reminded, this is the place where God reaffirmed the promise to me. But God's not done here. Abimelech shows back up. Just like the prior Abimelech had done with Abraham, Abimelech comes back and he's like, you know, we've had a chance to observe you, and it's pretty clear here that your God is blessing you. Do you see it there in verse 28? We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Now, was that because Isaac did everything so well, or is that just because God made it possible? It's a both and here, isn't it? Isaac conducted himself in such a way that God got the credit. 
And one of the worst things that you and I can do is when God blesses us, act in such a way that we're responsible for it. No. Abimelech notices and he sees it. We see plainly. We see clearly that the Lord has been with you. I wonder how many of us that would be our testimony in the world, in our workplace. I see clearly that God is with you. Not because we have to talk a good game, but that they can just see it. Let there be a sworn pact between us. In other words, another peace treaty. And so he makes this covenant, this peace treaty, the same thing that happens in Genesis chapter 21. It's a covenant of mutual peace. And they, they, when they wrap it all up, in verse 29, you are now the blessed of the Lord. You know what they're saying there? You're the next Abraham, we see it. <laughs> you're just like your dad was. You're the one who's blessed of the Lord. You're the next one who's the blessed of the Lord. And you know what? We would not want to cross you. So they make this covenant. They have the, the traditional way of, 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 of ratifying the covenant. They have the feast. They eat and drink. They, they exchange oaths in the morning, and he sends them on their way. And, and it, again, that same day. Don't you love God's timing? Verse 32, that same day, what does God do? <laughs> Think of every Western movie you ever saw. <laughs> it's all dry and dusty, right? <laughs> Tumbleweed blowing through town, right? And the rider comes in. <laughs> Runs up to the house. We hit water, Paul. Who does that? Only God does that, right? God blesses. And, and what we learn here is, what we learn here is, is that it wasn't on Isaac's faithfulness that God did this. God did it because God is faithful, Right? Now, that's not an excuse for us to not be faithful. Don't leave here this morning and say, Pastor Dan said we don't have to be faithful. God's Word didn't say that. But what God's Word says is this. Yeah, Isaac obeyed, and he screwed up just like you and I, we want to obey God, and we screw up at times. Anybody relate to that? And what does God do? God stays faithful. God stays faithful. But before we leave the chapter, there is this cloud of doom that still is there, which is a reminder, just because God has blessed twice doesn't mean that we're not going to have adversity. And what's the adversity that we're hinted at at the end of the chapter? Oh, by the way, he still has Esau as a child. Right? Esau then goes, takes two wives from the Hittites. Remember when Abraham was looking for a wife for Isaac? What is the one place that he told the servant not to take a wife from? From the Canaanites. Guess who are part of the Canaanites? Hittites. Pretty much if it's an ite, it means it's a Canaanite. He takes not just one, but two wives. And Moses records, they made life bitter. Literally, that word means right down in their spirit. Isaac and Rebekah had to battle this bitterness in their hearts. And again, <laughs> point it out. Just because God's blessing doesn't mean you're not going to have adversity. 
Just because God's blessing doesn't mean you're not going to get along with your adult children. Just because God's blessing doesn't mean that you're going to have perfect health until you, until you live to 120 years and then just peacefully pass, pass into glory. Just because God's blessing doesn't mean that your boss isn't going to be a jerk tomorrow. So what do we take from this text? Well, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to end there. A while back I showed you I showed you Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11. I want to show you Isaac in Hebrews chapter 11. So as the writer of Hebrews is talking about the patriarchs, in verse 8 and then in verse 9, he connects Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob together. And he says they're heirs of the promise at the end of verse 9. And he's building and he's talking about them and he's talking about them. And I want you to see what he says about them as a whole in verse 16, of which Isaac is a part of this whole. Look what he says. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Okay. We've been through the life of Abraham. Was Abraham a scoundrel at times, church? Has Isaac been a scoundrel? We know already that Jacob's a scoundrel, right? And what does this say about God? God's not ashamed to be called their God. Boy, I find a lot of comfort in that. I'm going to screw up, but God's not going to be ashamed to be called my God because not how good I am, but how great he is. What a gracious God we have. You know, Isaac isn't mentioned for any of his sins here. In fact, when you get down where he's mentioned specifically, look at verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. We're going to see that. We're going to see that as we move forward here. But it's not mentioned, you know, Isaac did the same stupid thing that his dad did. Abraham gets a pass because, you know, he didn't know any better. Isaac knew better and he did it. No, God doesn't hold that over his head. What God says about him is, is that he acted in faith. And he's not ashamed to be his God. What's interesting is, Jesus, when, he, when he's talking about this generation, when he's talking about his father in Matthew chapter 22, you know who he calls his father? My father is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's grace. And then there's something else I want to point out to you. We know, if you do the simple math, it says there that Esau at the end of the chapter is 40 years old when he takes these two wives. You start doing the math, and what we find out is, is that Isaac stayed in the land at least for 80 years. He just stayed in that place. He stayed there because that's where God told him to stay, and he didn't move him anymore. <laughs> Think about that. They were, they were nomads by, by heritage. That's what they did. They wandered around. And God said, no, you stay right here. You're going to go to the place where I'm going to take you to. And when God finally got him to Beersheba, he stayed there for at least 80 years. And he died at 180 years old. 
The way to blessing, church, is through obedience and faith. That's the way to blessing. It always is that way with God. It's, it's faith and obedience. And let's be honest, those two things are hard because they require us to do things that we don't like to do, and that is to walk without using our sight. And when we're not faithful, the great I am is, isn't he? I am doing this. I am doing this. And so when you leave here this morning, take comfort. You're not going to be faithful all the time, but God is. You're not going to always get it right, but he is. You're not going to be worthy of him fulfilling his promise to you, but he's going to do it, not because of your worthiness or lack thereof. He's going to do it because he is the worthy one, and he will be faithful to us. Father, I thank you for the lessons of Isaac. I pray for the fathers in this room this morning. What, a, what an awesome, daunting task that we have to represent Christ well to our families. What, a, what an important thing that you've given to us. And, and what a weighty thing it is that, that the choices that we make can impact future generations. And we saw it clearly how, how Abraham's lack of faith played out even in Isaac's life. And we're going to see that play out in Jacob's life. But I'm so glad that you point out to us in this text that even when we're unfaithful, you, almighty God, are faithful to us. We praise your name for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.